This episode of the Real Rescue Podcast is brought to you by Breeze Eastern, the world's only dedicated helicopter hoist and winch provider. SR3 Rescue Concepts, because you don't know what you don't know. And Life Saving Systems Corporation, we do our work so you can do yours. Tough gear for tough jobs. Breeze Eastern. They dedicate themselves to our helicopter rescue world. Since the very first helicopter rescue in November of 1945, Breeze Eastern has designed and manufactured superior rescue hoist solutions. While much of the technology and the unique mission requirements have changed over the past 75 years, their commitment to the rescuers, the operators, and those being rescued has not. Contact them today by visiting them at breeze-eastern.com. SR3 Rescue Concepts is a training company that can help with your helicopter training, a standardization and safety check, or maybe just an audit or an FAA refresher. They are here to bring your agency up to date with the most current techniques, rules, regulations, and equipment. The training staff is awesome. With the certified flight instructor pilots, experienced crew members, which I am happy to say that I am one of them, they offer training in rescue, medical, tactical, firefighting, ground operations, and night vision goggle use. SR3 has also partnered with Petzl to assist with personal protective equipment and the highly specific Lazard. SR3 also goes beyond the helicopter world as they provide high angle rescue training and tactical medicine training. Contact them today at sr3rescueconcepts.com or over on Instagram at sr3 underscore rescue. And Life Saving Systems Corporation. They manufacture the world's toughest helicopter rescue gear. From my favorite harness as a rescueman, the Triton harness, to the rescue baskets, the litters, and of course, the most popular hook in all helicopters, the D-Lock. The team at LSE will cut, bend, sew, weld, and machine these products into existence every day. We do our work so you can do yours. LSC, tough gear for tough jobs. Check them out today at lifesavingsystems.com and follow them on Instagram at rescuegear. That's at R-E-S-Q-G-E-A-R. We have some amazing stories come on this podcast. They have been a blast to listen to. One of the things we don't talk about too much is law enforcement. So this episode in particular, after we talk about a couple rescues, we get into some law enforcement stuff. And those stories are amazing. I absolutely love them. So I'm super stoked to have this guy come on. He is a pilot with the Riverside Sheriff's Department out of California, my friend, Mr. Mike Calhoun. My name is Jason Quinn. I am United States Coast Guard Rescue Swimmer number 500. These are my rescues and rescues from those of us that put our lives on the line every day so others may live. This is The Real Rescue Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Real Rescue Podcast. Today, I've got a killer guest with me. 
His name is Mr. Mike Calhoun from Riverside, California, their sheriff's department down there. And uh, he's flying the 145? Yes. All yes. right. Flying the 145 down there in search and rescue law enforcement. And he is going to give us some killer stories today. What's up, Mike? How are you? Cool. Hey, doing great. Thanks, Jason. Great to meet you. Ah, you too. Thanks for coming on, dude. This is, this is going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited to hear some of these stories because... You know. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 Oh, you're excited to hear your own stories too? This is fun. I'm excited to tell them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awesome. All right. For everybody <laughs> out there, can you uh, introduce yourself, give a little background, a little history, maybe a good resume in case you're looking for a job? Just kidding, Riverside. He's not <laughs> leaving. He's not leaving. Yeah, I know. I know. That's the joke. Like I, I'm, I'm two years away from retirement eligible, but yeah, I think I'm going to stick around a little bit. Um, yeah, so yeah, my name is Mike Calhoun, and uh, I'm a deputy sheriff with Riverside County Sheriff's Department, and my current assignment is, uh, is the chief pilot in the aviation unit. I've uh, been the chief pilot since uh, January of 17, uh, been with the unit for 14 years, uh, been with the department in law enforcement for 20 years this year, and uh, yeah, just uh, been, uh, you know, currently we, uh, my job is to um, organize coordinate, execute, document the training of uh, seven other pilots that I supervise and train. And uh, that's growing. We're, uh, we're going to adding six more pilots in the next two fiscal years. Wow. Uh, so good for you guys. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we're growing. Um, we, uh, we're going to be adding six more. So I'm also the, the unit flight instructor. So I'll be uh, uh, getting those guys uh, up to speed, getting their training, um, coordinated and I'll be uh, sitting left seat with them, getting them up to speed, uh, which is, uh, it's a pretty busy process too. Um, we'll have uh, a pilot, we'll send a pilot candidate to a, a local flight school and then um, he'll, uh, he'll come back with a commercial rotorcraft with, with instrument and uh, he'll come with me for about 60 hours. I'll, I'll fly with him for, uh, for basic, basic BFR stuff, uh, offsite landings, below 5,500 and, uh, and basic patrol tactics for the law enforcement side. Nice. And then, uh, he'll, he'll, he'll get signed off and, uh, he'll fly with a tactical flight officer, uh, but he'll have a lot of restrictions until he hits about 2,500 hours. So in the meantime, I'll be flying with him and, uh, stage checking him and, and helping him through his next benchmarks. So all the way you know, through night vision goggle training to fly at night. And then after about, about 750 hours, he'll go to that. And then from there, it's uh, the mountain flying, day and night, search and rescue, um, hoist and hover step training. So then formation flying and then aerial use of force. And so at about 2,500 hours, he'll be fully signed off to um, wow. be a fully qualified A-star pilot. Nice. So be a little bit busy in that. That's going to be great. I'm glad we're, uh, we're growing. And uh, because we, uh, our county is, it's 7,200 square miles. And oh, that's big. Yeah. Well, I, didn't realize, I didn't realize Riverside was that big. Yeah, yeah, we're kind of we're kind of shaped like a uh, like a long rectangle, and our western area goes from uh, just uh, just east of Los Angeles County. We border against uh, Orange County, and we go all the way out to the uh, Arizona state line. Wow! And so, yeah, to the north and south, we're bordered by San Bernardino County to the north, and then uh, San Diego and Imperial County to the south. Yeah. And so we uh, about two point four million people live in the county. Uh, most most of them are on the western portion, uh, west of uh, or just east of Mount San Jacinto, because um, we, we have Palm Springs. It's probably our our most famous city in the county. 
So uh, most people live in that Coachella Valley, Palm Springs, and then to the west. Um, east of that is a lot, a lot of desert, a lot of uh, Joshua Tree National Park, um, yeah. part of the Salton Sea. Uh, so, so that's uh, that, that's pretty awesome. So now for you, how did you get into search and rescue, like from the get go? Well, I I, uh, I I always tell people that I I wanted to be a pilot so bad that I became a cop up in Southern California to do it. Oh, that's so, hilarious. Um, I, 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 it's, that was, that was what a lot of us go through in law enforcement to become, become pilots. Um, yeah. So uh, I wanted to do it in the military and uh, just, it just didn't pan out. So uh, got out, got out of the Marine Corps and uh, got into college and uh, you know, I went a different route and I wanted to go to the medical field. I was going to be a, uh, a paramedic or a, uh, like a PA. I wanted to be an emergency room PA. So I went to, went to school for a long time and uh, wow. became an EMT in the meantime. So I worked in an emergency room as an ER tech and, and I wanted to, uh, I thought I was going to go to, I was about to go to nursing school. Uh, but after about three years of nights, um, I just got burned out on it. And I just felt that uh, I wanted, I still wanted to fly helicopters and I'm not getting any younger. So I, I, I need to make a decision here because I was 28, not getting any younger. So military was out of the question. And so, um, I talked to uh, one of the nurses I was working with and her husband was a cop and she said, you know what? I, I should, you should be a cop. I could totally see you being a cop. You should do that. <laughs> and, uh, and so she, she talked to her husband and he came, you know, she came back the next night and said, you know, Hey, he said that, you know, there's a lot of law enforcement agencies that will put you through flight school and uh, you can fly helicopters for them. You just got to be a cop first. And uh, so, you know, I just, I thought about that and I came back and did a little research on my own and, and said, Hey, you know what, that sounds like something I can do. You know, I, I, I can do that. And so applied with a bunch of agencies that had, you know, medium to large aviation units and uh, looked at uh, Riverside County Sheriff. They were the, they were the quickest to, to get me in to the Academy. Yeah. Um, got hired by LAPD, but they were just kind of dragging their feet. And, but uh, Riverside Sheriff got me, got me a start date, hire date. So uh, went through the Academy and uh, went through, uh, yeah, that was during 9-11. That's right when 9-11 happened. That was, uh, that was a crazy time. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I knew exactly where I was, what I was doing. When so do I. all of our instructors were huddling around a radio in the truck and, and uh, listening to what was going on. So, uh, yeah, we, uh, I, I graduated, started working in the jail, uh, like we all do, and then got assigned out to patrol. And then so when I was on patrol, I, uh, in 2005, I, I got my private rotorcraft on my own. So I went on my days off and, uh, got that taken care of. Cause I just wanted to, I wanted to fly. I wanted to do it. And, uh, but it turns out that that's, uh, that's a requirement that our department has. If, uh, if they select you to go to, to become a pilot, you have to have a, a private fixed wing or uh, rotorcraft, uh, already. Oh, wow. Uh, so, yeah. So it turned out, yeah, they, that's, but you know, you got to come up with that on the front end and then the department will invest a ton of money you know, on the back end for you, you know, getting your commercial rotorcraft and your instrument and then all the other subsequent uh, annual training that goes along with it. So, um, so it was great in the interview for a tactical flight officer, you know, that memo came out. And so I applied for it. Uh, I got, I got selected and uh, worked as a TFO for three years. And I think tactical it really flight well. officer. Yeah. Yeah, so that's basically he's the the real cop in the cockpit uh, talking to. <laughs> to yeah, 
Um, it is, it is definitely the hardest, hardest, uh, side of the aircraft to work. It's, um, you're task saturated, you're making decisions on the fly. You're acting like a dispatcher. You're, you're basically, you're just, you're tactically diagnosing everything that's going on below you while you're at least 500 feet or more or less above the ground in an enclosed environment with a lot of noise and a lot of stress. And so it, it takes a special person to be able to, uh, be able to fight through that and, and make those decisions effectively and to be a good, good flight officer. Wow. Um, now, uh, while you were yeah. a flight officer, did you also get trained as a hoist operator and rescue specialist as well? Or I did. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's initially what we've been doing. We've been hoisting for 20 years and we, uh, we fly, uh, H125 A stars. And, uh, for a while that was our, and still, you know, it's, it's our primary law enforcement platform, yep. but we do still train uh, for rescues in it um, as a backup to the 145. So when I went through, we would, after you were done with your uh, initial four month training syllabus for tactical flight officer day and night, then uh, you're assigned off for, uh, for patrol to be assigned to a pilot. And then, uh, and then after that, you'd start your specialty training and that was um, search and rescue mostly. Uh, so we were trained as a hoist operator. Uh, you stand out on the skid there. Um, and then, uh, how to do hover steps so forth. So, uh, we did, uh, you know, a lot of search and rescue with the A stars. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious as to a little bit more of that because that's actually pretty cool that you are a hoist operator and a pilot and the flight officer sitting up front left doing the radio stuff. So you yeah. guys get trained in every position in the back of the, or in the helicopter specifically. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, we, um, uh, when we were flying the A stars, um, when I was on patrol, then, you know, we would essentially just, you would just fly as a pilot. And, you know, once you, once you left the TFO role and then you're, you're basically just a pilot then. Um, and so you wouldn't really stay, uh, you know, current or proficient on the hoist, uh, that would, you know, we'd give all that time to the, uh, to the TFO so they can stay proficient and whatnot. And, um, but in the 145, we all trained uh, in every role. Uh, so the pilots were trained as hoist operators and catchers as well. Um, as a catcher, what's a define a uh, catcher? It's like a, a SAR tech or rescue technician that stays oh, in the okay. and just okay. yeah, receives the person. Oh, and, nice. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, we uh, it was it was fun. It's um, it's it's interesting going from uh, going from that. You know, I, I was. You know, we're going from a role where we're searching for people that are doing everything they can to not be found. And now <laughs> on the search and rescue side, we're going to calls where everybody is doing everything they can to be found. Yeah. So, and a lot of times that was in the same shift. You know, it was great. You know, you'd fly the same platform and it's like you can put a bad guy in jail and then help get a family off the mountain in the same day sometimes. Wow. And, oh, that's pretty awesome. It is. It's a quick, like, yeah, we would have to, you know, reconfigure the helicopter and, and, uh, the A-star, you know, just land and, you know, put the hoist out, you know, TFO then, you know, puts on his harness, daisy chain, anchor points. And, uh, then we would have, uh, we would have two rescue volunteers that would, we would call them out. And, uh, they were a great group of people like Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit yeah, and, and Desert Sheriff Search and Rescue. There were just a bunch of great folks that, that, uh, they come out and they were uh, helicast trained with us. We would train them uh, twice a year, uh, daytime, nighttime to uh, go down the hoist and come up the hoist and package up a victim. And, and uh, so we'd utilize them a lot with, uh, for that role. 
And uh, not so much anymore because now we're, we're a kind of a fully autonomous unit when we launch out. We launch out with a crew of five. So we have a pilot, co-pilot, a crew chief working the hoist, and then we have two SAR technicians that, uh, that'll go down. And, uh, and that's so, in the back of the 145, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I was going to say that's, that's jam packed in an A-star. Who are you leaving yeah. behind? <laughs> yeah. The A-star. Yeah. The A-star is great. Um, Cause we, we have some really, we have some really diverse geography. We have yeah. uh, Mount San Jacinto that has a state park up there and the peak is about is 10,834 feet. So uh, we do a lot of our business at about the 9,000, 8,000 foot level. Wow. And, uh, yeah, the A-Star would, it would do it. It was just, we would be, you know, 35 gallons, depending on the temperature that we were yeah. hoisting someone out at 10,000 feet. And then it's just the pilot, the hoist operator, and then the victim. Yeah. And then we would, you know, if it was a, a hiking group, then it was, you know, we'd hoist the one victim up and we'd fly down to the LZ, drop them off, uh, put in 10 gallons of gas, go back up to the, to the spot you know, kind of lather, rinse, repeat, but it was, we had to stay very Wow. Right. Oh my yeah. gosh. I know. And a lot of people, you know, say, you know, especially from the twin engine world say that's, you know, that's crazy. And, and, but it's a single engine helicopter, but you know, that's, that's all we were allowed to have at the time. And so we, we mitigated that with, you know, constant training, uh, selecting a platform that is proven and reliable in the A-star. It's very capable. Yeah. Um, so uh, it's it's much nicer and much more comfortable doing those same uh, operations though with the uh, with the 145 now though for sure. Well, heck yeah! I mean, you, you get a little more power, and it just the fact you yeah. can put five guys versus like the basically two or three. Man, yeah. that, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, <laughs> just like well, just just two days ago we had uh, we rescued five teenagers uh, from a from a mountain ridge, and we put them on. Yeah. The, oh, uh, do tell, do tell. So we get a call. Um, it's, it's very, very hot in Southern California in our County right now. So up at, uh, uh, there's a place, there's a trail called the Pacific Crest trail that runs from Mexico to Canada. Nice. Um, so that there's a section of it, uh, out in our County. It's, um, it's near Garner Valley and this ridge line they're hiking on, it's like 7,500 feet. So they were at the base of a Valley nearby. They were, uh, part of a hiking group of like a little summer camp. So they're like, Hey, let's, uh, let's go hiking up to the PCT. And, uh, so they, from their base camp, it was probably, probably two miles just to get to the base of the mountain. And then there's these very, very vertical switchbacks that, cause the mountain, the side is very steep. And so they get up to the PCT. Well, it was 90 degrees at 7,500 feet still. And essentially this, this ridgeline, you look to the east, you can see uh, Palm Springs and the Coachella Valley, and you look to the west and it's all the Western Riverside County. You can, on a clear day, you can see the Pacific Ocean from about that altitude. Wow. So, yeah, they That's were up, awesome. Yeah, it was still 90 degrees up there. So one of the kids was 12 year old female. She uh, was, she was having uh, signs of heat exhaustion and kind of tapping out. So we get the call and we fly up, we find them. And uh, so we find them over on this ridgeline and thankfully they're right next to this big open uh, offsite landing, this little pinnacle landing. So we all, we just put the bird down and we have the uh, rescue techs go out and assess them. And they were, they were huddling under this big manzanita bush, you know, getting some shade. And, and so uh, they all had these, these big packs and everything, but no water in them. And so they were all dehydrated and one of them was pretty, 
So we just made the decision, okay, we had the performance capability. Let's take all five of them. We left the two Sartex behind. And so we loaded all five of them up, secured them to the back, and we flew them to our nearby mountain station, which was about a less than a five minute flight away. So we just landed, offloaded them, got them all off the mountain. And in it, you know, in an A-star, that would have been probably four different trips. Yeah. Five. But uh, yeah. that's one thing that it's just so much better now. We can get everybody off the mountain at once. And uh, it's just limits our exposure over the, over the, uh, the position and uh, gets us all done quicker. And yeah, so they got off and uh, one of them got seen by the paramedics. And uh, so they were on their way home happy and uh, oh, so. that's awesome. So, like in such an easy kind of, not easy. I, I don't ever want to use that word because everything in SAR is difficult. We just make yeah. it look easy. Yeah. But that kind of benign case, you're like, oh, I got a couple people up. We're going to land, load them up and go. And for us, it's a 10 minute flight there, five minute flight to drop them off, go get the guys yeah. and go back. All right, refuel, clean up, let's roll. <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it was similar to, we had a case about a, probably a month and a half ago out in uh, the desert. It was uh, this really pretty area to go hiking called Painted Canyon. A lot of folks go out there and, it, and it's, you know, it's really hot out there. It's, um, it's 120 in the summer. Ooh, and that's so Fahrenheit, about, by the way. Yeah, Fahrenheit. So it, it gets really hot. So you get people that, you know, they go hiking and uh, we rescued a family of five there again. It was similar. We were able to offsite land and uh, but there were three kids in there and the youngest was about two and a half and, and they were, they were out of water for a while. So we were able to uh, land off site crew, went down, hiked down to them, got the adults, got the kids and uh, we were able to fly them all off right there and um, get them to our, our nearby um, uh, station airport and get them all home. And especially, you know, a little two and a half year old girl that was out wow. in 90 plus degree weather that would have taken ground crews uh, probably an hour and a half where they were to get to them. Yeah. And then uh, just, that's why I, I love, you know, the helicopter, op the SAR operation. It just, it's just like Sikorsky said, it was save, we can save lives, you know, we save lives quicker and more efficient, more effectively. And um, then, you know, having to hike and so forth. And yeah, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that. I, and I haven't even asked you about your first SAR case yet, which I'm going to get into in a second, but yeah. you bring up an interesting point and that is, there are some people that they don't even think about this, but the amount of time that it took you. So those two cases specifically, like you, you get to the helicopter, you launch out, you get on scene, you're there, you know, 10, 20, let's go 20 minutes like, to yeah. get on scene. You know, that's, that's a longer flight. Um, you land, load everybody up five minutes, 10 minutes to a landing zone to get everybody safe paramedic to medical help. And then yeah. you go back 15, 20 minutes back to base shut down, refuel and, and chill out. Yeah. You guys took the helicopter and let's say five crew members for the 145. Yeah. For guys that have to hike in hours, like one hour, two hour, three hours. And you're talking a full like 10 people plus equipment and then, then triage and then another hour plus hike back out. It's, it's an entire day lost with an entire yeah. crew that could be out doing something else that, that is more beneficial to them. And just yeah. the amount of money and time it saves is ridiculous. It's, it's awesome. It is. Yeah, it is. It is such a, you know, we keep calling it, it's a game changer for us. You know, we, we can, you know, get back in service a lot quicker with this new platform. And it's just, uh, it's been, it's been awesome for us. It's been awesome for all the, 
the people in Riverside County. And um, we, we've definitely seen an uptick in, in our, in our rescues this, this time of year. It's, I, I really, it's weird. I think it's, I think it's because of COVID, you know, last year we, yeah. I think a lot of people <laughs> just realized, man, we, we had like a lot of our freedoms suspended for a while and we, we, we need to get out and take advantage of that and get out and see that this country go out and hiking. And cause we, we have been, it's been insane for us. We, we put this bird in service, um, March 25th of this year. And we've, we've, we've saved 56 people in those hundred and something days since then. Wow. And, and yeah, over about 36 or 37 missions, um, it, it's been that, and that we're all kind of sitting like this, this seems a little bit busier than usual and not just our usual our um we have a, a time period from about early april to maybe late may of the pct hikers that are coming through and and so we get a lot of a lot of business in that time time frame for um guys get injured or lost and um but yeah it just seems like normal more than normal um recently and and um as a matter of fact, just the other day, uh, I think the day before or two days before we, we rescued those kids, we had a, we were, we were assigned to go talk to like a, the national um, CBS media out in Palm Springs. They wanted okay. to talk to a SAR crew and get some advice for the folks about hiking and get some do's and don'ts because there's been, it's been 110, 120 degrees in that valley in Palm Springs and people were, were, were rescuing people that are overheated and so forth. Um, we, uh, so we were, we were like, okay, so we're going to go talk to them. But as we're going to go talk to them, we get a, we get a lost hiker call and it was right there in Palm Springs. And so we get overhead and this, this guy is in this, uh, he goes hiking by himself. He's only wearing shorts and no shirt, totally sunburnt. And you get overhead. <laughs> yeah. And he, and he's I don't in this. I need to laugh, but that, that's like. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. We, oh. yeah, we, yeah, Oops. there's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we, he's in this spot where he hiked down to this. Uh, it's, it looks like it's a waterfall when it's like the monsoon season and we get, they get kind of flooding in there when it's in the monsoon. And, and he like just hiked down just below the crest of the waterfall on this ledge. And he, he definitely couldn't go down any farther, but he couldn't get back up that like 10 or 15 feet. So, you know, we hoisted him off of there and we uh, landed at the LZ nearby in the city. And uh, you know, that, that camera crew was there from CBS. So, um, we watched it later and, you know, they were gonna, they were saying, Hey, we were, we were supposed to talk to these guys, uh, and get some, uh, tips about hiking in the desert when they actually got a lost hiker overheated hiker call. And, and, uh, so it was, it was, uh, hopefully the point was taken by the folks that, Hey, this is cause they, they kind of highlighted a guy that had passed away the week before. Oh, from wow. Just, he was just lounging at a pool at a hotel there and, uh, he died a heat stroke. Wow. And, yeah, it was it was 118 or something that day, and and uh, so hope, I'm I'm glad the message was getting out to, hey, we we, we hiking's awesome and it's great, but you just got to be prudent and just uh, you know, because there's there's times when we say no, you know, there's, there's no to weather, no to you know, maybe the crew experience isn't there, and you know, we we don't go, we we can't go, we have to send the ground teams, and so yeah, you know, hopefully hopefully folks get that too, that just you know, we're here to help you and we're here to save you if you get in, get in a pinch, but, um, just kind of exercise some good judgment. Um, hydrate or die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, we've, uh, we've seen, uh, I mean, actually we, we were, 
uh, Airbus Media was at our hangar for a couple of days and they're they're filming this video that's uh, they wanted to highlight and showcase our 145 and and uh, it's going to be played I guess later this month at the uh, Airborne Public Safety Association conference. Oh, great! So and as we were starting to get up, we get this lost hiker call um, in the on the PCT, but further south from where we rescued those kids and. And this, uh, this lady, she didn't make it. She, um, she was her, her hiking buddy panicked and went, she found a nearby house. It's a very rural section just North of San Diego County. And it was well over, uh, almost a hundred degrees at, at 9 AM. This was first thing in the morning. Yeah. So our Sartek got down to him, to her and, um, and he, he pronounced her right there. It was, it was pretty obvious. And, uh, so yeah, we uh, packaged her up in the Stokes and flew her back, and and the coroner met us at the hangar. But uh, it was, it was kind of like you know, wow, you know, it's it it happens, and unfortunately, that, you know, the sad side of the job, and right, you know, people out people out doing stuff that they love to do, and you know, they're out hiking, and it's great, and uh, just um, especially this time of year, you gotta just you know, exercise some prudence and hydrate properly, or just wait for another day right yeah wow wow man that's crazy yeah but my first my first search and rescue case it was it was kind of boring um just got signed off for uh i was authorized you know like we all are for um uh, daytime hoist rescues below 5500 feet msl and uh so we had this uh section in the ortega mountains it's kind of a mountain ridge that divides riverside and orange counties very popular mountain biking and hiking Okay. And these, these two young girls or three, three young girls, they went hiking, they got off trail and, uh, they were up on this, uh, pinnacle of a mountain and it was, uh, it was kind of just a simple hover step. It wasn't even a hoist. Um, so I just, uh, hover stepped in another, uh, tactical flight officer and we did a hover step operation. We're just, um, you know, put one skid over the area and the TFO, he briefed them up on how we're going to do it. So, and in that, in that case, you know, the, the, TFO, he's he's anchored into the side of the aircraft, just like in a hoist, but he'll assist the uh, victims in getting in the doorway with the uh, the TFO on the ground. Make sure he kind of like acts as a as a like a shuttler to get them on the aircraft. And yeah, we got them on board and landed at the uh, nearby LZ, and that was it. Um, uh, pretty cut and dry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's all right. So let me ask you this then: is Cause I remember, you know, my first case and, and a lot of guys that I talked to that remember their first case was your adrenaline pumping, like, Holy cow, this is my, this is yeah. my first call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, uh, it, it was, it was different. Um, you know, we do a lot of, uh, you know, before we get signed off, we do a lot of like live body, you know, stuff. And that's one of our final, final exams is you're hoisting one of us up in the aircraft and hover stepping us and making sure we're all good. So you get that feel of that's what a you know, live body is, but then it was, you know, I'm on my own this time and, uh, I'm, I'm the aircraft commander and, and, uh, want to make sure, you know, I make, make the right call, you know, get in the right position. And, uh, yeah. yeah. But my first, my first, uh, as a, as a TFO, my first hoist case were actually body parts. Oh that, gosh. That's not yeah, fun. Yeah. It was, uh, it was an aircraft, uh, crash. Um, they, they were scud running and they, they just clipped the top of a mountain and four perished. And so the, uh, the ground teams went in, they, uh, they re uh, removed their remains and the remains of all four occupants fit in probably like a 40 liter duffel bag. And so, oh. that, uh, yeah, it was biohazard bag and hoisted that into the aircraft into the A-Star. And then, uh, 
And then uh, our pilot, it was chief pilot at the time. He's like, all right, you ready for, uh, you want to do your first one? I'm like, yeah. So I hoisted one of the, um, one of the uh, search and rescue volunteers out. So he was my actual technically first case. I had um, body parts and, uh, and then a live person right after that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, I don't know if there's many people that could say that. So that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, it was, it was interesting, you know, and what I, yeah, I was, I was nervous too, you know, cause you're as the, as the TFO, you're, you're, you're verbally flying the aircraft for the pilot because right. it's indirect vertical reference. So you gotta be, you gotta be good. You got the pilot has to trust you. You have to be very confident. And so I'm pretty nervous making sure, you know, I'm, I'm getting that aircraft, getting that hoist, you know, plumb center over the load. And so that I don't induce a swing and, and so getting it over and, and our pilot was, was awesome, man. He was like 15,000 hour combat Marine pilot. And wow. So, you know, it was up to me to get him. And so if there was any swing induced, it was my fault. So everything was, everything went okay. And, um, yeah. That's, so that's awesome. It's man, never that, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty badass, man. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. And I, and I'm sorry, hoisted body parts. That's not badass, but yeah. I mean, just to have that experience and, and what you guys do is, is pretty cool, but yeah, actually your whole, so you and I talked a little bit offline a little bit um, because your whole County does some really like incredible stuff. And um, you had mentioned something that there was a case that was in a book out of Joshua tree. Uh, can yes. you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, in uh, 20, 20, June of 2018, uh, there was a young lady named Claire Nelson, uh, really cool gal. She, uh, she was a travel blogger, I believe, and she was house-sitting up in uh, Joshua Tree National Park. Uh, I think she's a, a New Zealand national. So she was up, you know, uh, house-sitting for some friends of hers that I think were from England originally. So they went back to England, and Claire goes and watches the house, and so she plans on a, uh, on a, you know, about a four to six hour hike by herself. And uh, so she's hiking Joshua tree. And so it's June, it's a little warm. And so she's out, you know, got her hiking sticks and a little, uh, enough, you know, food for a day and her water. And um, she's going along, everything's going great. And she comes to a section of this, of the trail where it's a, um, it's kind of a cliff drop off. It's very rocky. And she thinks she's like, okay, I'm just going to shimmy down this boulder and get, get down there. And uh, so I guess it was higher than she had estimated and she slipped near the top and it was actually, you know, roughly 20, 25 feet. Ooh. And uh, she slipped and she shattered her pelvis. She landed oh. on her back. Yeah. So she, she laid in that, she could not move. She immediately knew once she tried to move that uh, something was wrong with her hip. Um, she, she had excruciating pain. So she, uh, th that began a four day ordeal where she laid in that position in, in the, the desert of Joshua tree. Um, she began to start a video diary with what was left in her phone battery wise. And, uh, yeah, she, she laid there. Um, she had to get very creative with, um, you know, she was wearing shorts and I think a tank top and so she had some sunscreen and so she had to get very uh, creative with her hiking pole or she would, you know, imagine laying on your back and the only thing you can really move are your arms and you kind of, even to lift your head up to look toward, look at your feet. It, it was painful. She couldn't do it. So oh she, gosh. she put sunscreen like on the end of her pole and then she would like shimmy her pole down to her shins and kind of feel 
like she was covering her legs and then she'd cover her arms and then um then uh I guess she had a sandwich and a little um this little this little like white shopping bag is what saved her life um later on but uh, I guess some little animal like jacked her for a little sandwich or something and oh no afterward and she was like no <laughs> oh how could you so uh yeah so she started recycling her urine and that's what really extended I think her life as well she just had like one little Nalgene bottle maybe like a one liter and so recycled her urine and um so we get the so her her friends back in England they they didn't hear from her on her blog and that was very unusual for her she uh usually posts something every day but that day she didn't post anything so they you know called her and pinged her and didn't hear anything so they you know they called the house called her cell phone nothing and so they thought that was really unusual and that was good on them for really knowing their friend yeah that they were that concerned to immediately say hey they called uh the, the rangers the joshua tree national park rangers said hey we have a friend that we think she's overdue we haven't heard from her so they, uh, they got the vehicle description and sure enough her car was still there at the trailhead so they're like okay that's been two days and uh so that's when they launched um i think we got launched on the fourth day and wow. so we go out there and so the air crew they launched out and um and they did they did a really bang up job and manny romero and eric uh, basha they um they got overhead and they were searching and searching and you know they're making PA announcements and uh, we have her name and so we're we're telling her hey Claire you know we're looking for you help us find you try to signal us we're looking for you and just kind of saying that repeating it yeah um, which so, is super smart by the way the, the guys down in Florida were doing something similar to that and I was like God that's brilliant just you guys have yeah. a PA announce it yeah. that's awesome absolutely yeah um. Yeah. So uh, they get overhead. And so there's a, there's a funny side story. There, there's so many, I'm sure you do too. You have so many funny things that happen in the cockpit while you're, while you're looking for somebody, or especially like when we're doing our law enforcement stuff, we see some pretty funny stuff uh, from our vantage point, but uh, very much so. <laughs> yes. So this is one of those instances that uh, was a, a bit of levity for Claire at the end. And uh, so they're searching and they see these two, uh, these two women kind of nearby or on a trail and they're hiking and, uh, and up ahead on the trail around the turn out of line of sight of the women was some kind of animal that they, they were both looking at. So one of them says, Oh man, there's a, there's a coyote up ahead of them. We, we should probably warn these women on the PA. So, so the other one says, no, that's not a coyote. So then begins this argument of what type of animal it was in the cockpit. It's a coyote. No, it's not, dude. It's a, it, it's not, it's, I think it's, I think it's a, like a bobcat or something or no, it's a coyote. Well, so <clears throat> one of them, uh, we have this on the floor. We have a, we have a push the talk button for the PA and for the radio and you just step on this button and it, and it, uh, it broadcasts whatever you're saying. So he's on the PA channel. And so he, uh, he, he says to the, to the pilot, Hey, it's not a effing coyote. And so <laughs> he uses the full word. And so the pilot says, Hey dude, you put that out on the PA. He goes, no, I didn't. He goes, dude, I heard it, man. I felt the, you know, you feel the speaker vibrate. He goes, dude, you put that on the PA down there to those women. He's like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. So, so they're, you know, they're warning him. Hey, there's a coyote use caution. And Hey, also we're looking for this uh, hiker, you know, 30 something year old female named Claire. If you've seen her, if you've seen anyone like that, can you, you know, wave your arms at us kind of thing. 
So we didn't get any arm waves. So like, all right, well, they must not have come across her or seen her. So, um, so in that meantime, um, they're flying around and they're about to go bingo fuel and go back to thermal and refuel. So um, I think Eric says, hey, why don't we fly down this canyon? It's on the way back. Uh, we found this one guy here, remember a couple of years ago, and he kind of got funneled into this terrain and all right, yeah, yeah, cool. So they, they hit that area. And as they're right about to start, um, one of them, I forget who it was, one of them says, hey man, what's that? And so down below, they see something white and it's moving. And so, oh yeah, that's, yeah, it's definitely something moving around. What is that? It's white, it's kind of, you know, doesn't match the terrain. And so they get overhead and on the binos and, you know, they, so TFO says, hey, there's a, there's a female laying on her back and she has a hiking pole with a white trash bag on the end of it. And it looks like she's waving to us. Wow. So we're like, okay, um, that's gotta be our victim or yeah. Who else is it going to be? Right. Or some other unreported lost hiker. Um, so they get overhead. And so they, uh, because they were low fuel, they, they decided, okay, we're going to land here. They had water and stuff. And, um, so they landed and they hiked down to her and sure enough, yeah, it was her. And so that, and so they were like, oh my gosh, they, you know, she was so grateful and thankful. She's like, you know, I can't move my hip. I think my hip's broken. Um, okay. So then they call um, uh, California Highway Patrol. They have an A-star out there in the Coachella Valley. And they're, they're always, they're great partners for us. Um, really, really good group, uh, always helping out. And so they're, they're a hoist operation too. So they get there, we call CHP and say, hey, can you uh, help us hoist? We found the victim in Joshua Tree, help us hoist her out. So they get there and and uh, so in the meantime, they're kind of waiting, you know, as they're waiting for CHP, they're talking and, and, and Manny and Eric are just like, you know, blown away. Like, you know, how have you survived all these four days in this position in the sun? And so she's going through everything she did and, and she talks about it in depth uh, in her book. I think it's called uh, Things I Learned from Falling. And, wow. Uh, okay. I'll look it up. Yeah. Things I Learned from Falling by Claire Nelson. So, um, so Eric, I remember Eric, he had an apple. Uh, and he gave her an apple and she's like, that's the greatest apple I ever had in my life. So they started, <laughs> that's thinking, awesome. yes. So they, you know, they got, they got some, uh, they got some water in her and they're, you know, they're sitting there waiting, they're talking. And so she's like telling, you know, talking about her ordeal and what she did and, and how she survived. And, um, and she's like, she said there, she goes, I was resigning to the fact that tonight was going to be my last night alive. She's like, I, I can, she's like, I feel it. I'm just you know, de dehydration. And she says, you know, I, man, I, I started hallucinating and I've been hallucinating all day. I've been like hearing things and I'm like these weird memories from my childhood or whatever. And, and then, you know, I, I, I hear these voices. I started hearing voices and I, I heard someone yelling at me, Hey, it's not an effing coyote. And I'm like, what is that coming from <laughs> saying that? To me? And so immediately, oh, Danny and Eric, Manny and Eric point to each other or whatever and said, see, I told you, I told you, you put it out. See, I told you. Claire's <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So one of them's like, you weren't hallucinating. That was him. He put it out on the PA. I was right. And uh, there was this coyote nearby and we were warning these women. And so Claire's like, oh, wow. <laughs> so That's so, hilarious. Um, yeah, yeah. So and she put that in the book and um, talked about that. So they, you know, they, a CHP came and they hoisted her out and she had a, she had a pretty lengthy rehab at the, uh, the hospital and she was back to hiking and doing great. And it was really cool because we got to meet her um, at an award ceremony for our department um, that next year. And 
and it was really, really cool, you know, that, uh, you know, we don't ever really get to, to meet the people we rescue afterward. You yeah. Know, it's kind of like, so rare. it is very rare. And, um, so it was great, you know, she made it and, uh, she's back to doing what she does and still out hiking and, um, and doing, um, uh, still blogging about trial stuff. And, um, yeah, it was, it was great. Um, good. What a great good story. Yeah. Those are the ones that, the ones that I remember personally, the ones that I've been personally involved in are the ones that we find after a long time, you know, they've yeah. been missing for a long time. And, uh, the two, there's, I think two that kind of stand out for me that, um, I was flying on. One of them was, uh, probably about four years ago, there was a guy that went, two guys went hiking, um, in, uh, this South of Palm Springs area. And, uh, so they, they're hiking along and one of them, he's a 60 something year old male, but he's in really great shape still. He's still like a marathoner at the time. Nice. They're hiking, but he, he slips down a pretty steep portion of like the decomposed granite and he, and he slides several, I mean, 20 plus feet into like this manzanita brush and he kind of gets stuck there. He's all scraped up and hurting. So his partner hiking buddies like, okay, well, let me, let me call 911. And he's like, yeah, I, I can't move, man. I'm hurting. So, but he doesn't have any cell reception. So he starts hiking down and down and down and down and he doesn't get any bars until he's, he's essentially at, at the base of the valley. And so that's when he's able to call 911. So they, um, you know, they start launching the, the SAR crews, the ground teams and, and then us, um, we started that first night, a look in nothing. And then I was working nights at the time. So the next morning, uh, day crew, they start just shuttling a whole bunch of of rescue volunteers up above them on the ridge line offsite land. And they just kind of trickle down and start, start a search grid pattern. And so first day, nothing. Um, second night, uh, my partner and I go fly and we're just, we're looking and looking we're utilizing the searchlight, our night vision goggles and the infrared camera kind of all in combination. Yeah. So we're, you know, looking for the, that heat anomaly and, um, and thankfully it was the winter time. So it wasn't very hot for the guy. So we were looking that that second night, we don't see anything. And then the third day they do the same thing, launch a bunch of crews up there searching nothing. And then uh, that third night they had uh, determined that, okay, we're going to call this and it's going to, it's going to change to a recovery mission. Uh, We didn't think he would be able to survive in the elements. So they called us out for one last uh, night search. And so we get overhead doing the same thing. And, uh, and so the terrain up there in the flora is it's like all kind of manzanita brush. It's all like, kind of like the same height. It all looks the same. So we're just kind of scanning with the FLIR, scanning with the night sun. Hopefully um, we use the spotlight that sometimes they have reflective properties of their clothing. And right. Right. That, and with the night vision goggles too, it'll help. So we're just, we're there, we're there about 15 minutes or so. And we're scanning this ridge line on the FLIR and then there's something that on the, on the infrared camera that is a little bit taller than the surrounding terrain, but it's a lot hotter. So we both were like, Ooh, wait, what's that? So we scan back, zoom in. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty hot. So we switch over to the color camera with the uh, night sun. And sure enough, man, it's a guy in a red jacket, gray hair. And he's kind of like on his knees and he has his arms up. He's like waving to us. Wow. And so I'm like, okay, okay. This is pro- okay. So it's kind of like, Hey, you think this is our guy? <laughs> Yeah. Or it's probably some other unreported lost hiker, you know, this has got to be our guy. So, uh, so we get overhead, put it in a hover and, uh, 
So we get on the PA and said, Hey, are you, um, I remember his name, his name was Roger. Are you Roger? Wave your arms. And, uh, cause his clothing matched his description matched. So he was like, yes, like waving his arms frantically. So we told him, okay, hold tight. We got to come back and reconfigure and, uh, we're going to hoist you out of there. You're going to be fine. We'll be back in about 15 minutes. So he's like, uh, he's good to go. So we get back on the radio. We tell now the command post, they had already broken down and they were driving away and they told the family, you know, this is, you know, most likely going to be a recovery mission. So that was really cool for us to say, Hey, we found him positive ID. This is him. He's alive. Uh, I need two hoist qualified rescuers to meet us back at the LZ. We're going to uh, reconfigure and brief it up. And uh, so we landed there. And so they were, are you sure? Are you sure the family's right here? And like, absolutely. Yes. This wow. Is him. Oh, that yeah. is awesome. They were so happy. And so we landed, we hoisted him out. And uh, then he did a little recovery in the hospital and local news, uh, news media was there interviewing him and, and uh, kind of got to meet his, uh, his daughter kind of peripherally. Uh, I think it was on Facebook. It, we put it on our page and the daughter, she posted a, a, a reply saying, you know, that was my dad. Thank you so much. And so oh, that I is so cool. like, Hey, think we were glad to do it happy. And um, you know, she was like, Hey, he would love to meet you guys sometime. And it, it never really panned out, but um, you know, we're just, we're just happy. She was so very, so very appreciative and thankful. And, and uh, it was awesome that, you know, everything worked great. You know, that crew was uh, Palm Springs Mounted Police. They're another crew that we work with for search and rescue and hoisting and, and, you know, and all those volunteers, man, that just were hiking that mountain, you know, just answering the call. Yeah. To, you know, they got jobs and stuff they have to go to. And, you know, they were able to do that for, for other people, you know, on a voluntary basis. And so it was. For days. Days. Yeah. yeah. I and, can't uh, believe you survived. That's, in, that's awesome. That's incredible. Yeah. And so one of the, uh, one of the search teams on that second day, I think they reported that they found some mountain lion tracks that were, I guess a mountain lion was kind of uh, tracking him because he actually moved from the original spot. He was actually able to climb out of that, out of that scrum and get back up to the ridge line. And he was kind of moving around, but he was, he was fairly injured. So it was a slow move. And so they were like, yeah, some mountain lion was tracking him. So probably just waiting for him to get weak or something. And um, so, yeah. <laughs> wow that's that's you know that also puts into a major account of all the equipment that we put on the aircraft to help us do our job to search yeah. for people your FLIR your night sun your NVGs like yeah I can't speak highly enough about all of that equipment and and how well it works so yeah kudos be, to all the companies that make all that too like yeah, awesome. these are so vital to our our operation that you know we don't we don't fly unless we have them at night. Yeah, so me too. They're 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 a valuable tool. Yeah, we have we have a lot of really dark portions of our county. You know, this desert area and stuff. It gets there's there's a section that we we transit. We're going from the west side to the east side um, through uh, south of Mount San Jacinto. That is just. It's like if your goggles quit, it's it's technically IFR. It's pitch black. You have no moon, and there's no cultural lighting out there, and and uh, so it's it's uh, it gets pretty dark. So yeah, the NVGs are absolutely invaluable, invaluable to what we do. Dude, that's a great story. I like that one too, man. Yeah, well, there's <laughs> a, another one that really stands out for me too was. Uh, um, about about five years ago, another case in the city of Idlewild. It's a mountain town just uh, below Mount San Jacinto. 
Uh, we had a guy, 60 something year old guy. He survived seven days in the same spot. Oh my uh, gosh. On the what? Yeah. He, he, this guy was, <laughs> I was thinking afterward, man, he must've been one of those just bulletproof, like Vietnam vet green beret guy that just can't die. You know, just like, <laughs> you know, like how they say he's got like old man strength, you know, but oh, this yeah. guy, he survived on a can of green beans and one bottle of water. I'm not even kidding you. That's what he lived on. Um, and uh, seven days, seven days in the oh. same spot. And the way Sick. his, his, that, the way that uh, call came out was interesting because he's got this, I guess he has this, this tweaker buddy of his that uh, they decide they're going to go hiking and they're going to go like prospecting for, I don't know, gold or something. Yeah. And uh, so they go, they kind of get separated. And so, the victim, he goes down this one section and he said he fell and he, he, he said he hurt his knee pretty bad. He can't move. And so his buddy is up on the high ground and he's like, okay, okay, well, I can't see you, but I'm gonna go get help. So uh, seven days later, he is uh, sitting in a bar in Idlewild. And so one of our uh, rescue volunteers that lives up there, he was at this same bar and uh, he's overhearing this conversation. It goes something like this. Uh, me and so-and-so were up on uh, the South Ridge and prospecting, but man, he got hurt. And, uh, yeah, I tried to get help, but, uh, you know, didn't, nothing ever happened. And so, so this search and rescue volunteer, Lee, he's, he's hearing this. He's thinking that was seven days ago. He didn't hear from his buddy. And so he's talking about it and he kind of moves on. And, and then, so Lee kind of sounds like he, he interjected there and he goes, Hey, I couldn't help but overhear your conversation. Uh, you say you had a friend that was injured on south ridge and seven days ago and you, you don't know how he is yeah yeah man he's uh yeah he's i don't know i haven't heard from him. have you called him uh well oh yeah no i haven't heard from him and so oh, what he's a like, good friend he's Jeez. like yeah exactly man i'm like are you kidding <laughs> I, me i think you need a new friend there brother <laughs> yeah so so lee lee goes you know your, your friend's probably still up there man he might be dead by now so Lee calls 911 and uh, gets, that's what gets the, the SAR going. And so, uh, um, and in the meantime, uh, uh, CHP Highway Patrol over from Thermal, they hear the call too. And uh, uh, there's a, a pilot over there named Jen. Um, she's super motivated, always helps us. And at the time she was flying the fixed wing. I think she's, she's moved on to A-Stars now, but uh, she was flying the fixed wing. She gets, she gets the call and she's like, hey, I'm gonna go help. So, uh, so she, I'm, I am not kidding you, Jason, she gets overhead and she's 3000 feet above the, the last known location yep. flying a Cessna. So she's at 9,000 MSL. It's about the 6,000 foot level. So she's flying a Cessna looking through binoculars and she finds the guy. What? From feet. I, I know. Go Jen. Boom. She did. She <laughs> killed it. So, and she's like, the guy's alive. He's like moving around. And I'm, I'm thinking, how, how did she spot this guy? You know, she's fighting the mountain, flying a, flying a Cessna on binoculars and just, it's just legendary status. So uh, she GPSs his spot and we go up and um, we're, we got the spot. So we're going to go and hoist him out. And uh, so um, I'm flying and I, uh, my partner, you know, we get into the spot and uh, we get over overhead into the hover and and I'm at about 60, 70 feet up off the ground and I'm looking through my chin bubble. And, and so uh hoist operator is like, yeah, he's right there. And I'm looking through the chin bubble at 60, 70 feet. And I can't see the guy because he's wearing like a green sweatshirt and black pants. 
Oh yeah. Just in the green blend right in. Yep. Yeah. Until like what caught my eye was, I guess he had some kind of like, I think he wrapped his shirt or something around his knee. Uh, it looked like an ace wrap and it started flapping in the downwash. And that's oh. what caught my attention. I'm like, Oh, Oh, there he is. Sure enough, man. So we hoist him out he goes to the hospital and, um, and apparently they discharged him that night, man. What? <laughs> telling you this guy was like some kind of iron man indestructible indestructible guy so uh um yeah he got got home safe and uh but that was just an amazing you know good teamwork there you know that we have good partners in the area that that you know are motivated love to help out and uh that was just still to this day i can't can't believe she found the guy from three thousand feet on binoculars go like, jen uh, shout out yeah. to jen good job girl. yeah <laughs> yep. oh the stories are sick yeah Dude, there was just more. I mean, there's the one case that I had where um, I actually got to meet a guy I rescued uh, a couple years ago. And I never, never get to do that, man. And um, he was, uh, it, I was at the Miramar Air Show yeah. and, uh, down in San Diego. And uh, we had a, a static display down there. So I flew the helicopter down and uh, we we're, you know, letting the kids see it and everything all day. And, and then at the end of the day, everybody's filing out toward the exit. So, you know, none of us can leave till everybody's gone. So I'm just kind of hanging out, waiting for everybody to leave. And I, I hear this lady, um, she says, Riverside County Sheriff's Department. Hey, honey, I, I wonder if this is the helicopter that saved you. And so I looked what? over, it was a, it was a man and his wife and their uh, like teenage daughter. And, uh, so he, he gets closer to me. He goes, yeah, man, you, you guys, uh, you guys saved my life, man. Uh, uh, I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't know if it was actually me or this helicopter, but he goes, well, well, as soon as he said April 4th, Apache Peak, I said, that was absolutely me. I, re I remember that. <laughs> and he, so they're really, I said, yeah, I was the pilot on that. And I remember that because that was, that was a tough, tough rescue, man, because the winds, the winds were about at my comfort level. And uh, so we, we were able to hoist in a rescue tech and, and get him, he had a, uh, he slipped on an ice patch on the PCT and he, he broke his ankle pretty good. Ooh. So, um, that happened at about six in the morning. And I remember the weather that day was just crappy. It was just low ceiling. We couldn't launch. They called us like right after that. And we said, we, I'm sorry, we can't wear the weather. And, uh, and so they had like where, where they were, the, the cloud ceiling was like a hundred feet. So it was like, well, there's no way we're getting in there. So, so he was with his son and so dispatch told him, Hey, the helicopter can't get you because of the weather and the ground teams are going to take about seven to eight hours to get to you. So the son just starts, his dad's telling me this at the air show afterward. Like, yeah, my son started breaking down crying because he didn't think I was going to live for seven to eight hours. Wow. He didn't think I was going to make it. So the ground teams start. And then at about two o'clock, the weather broke finally. So we launched, we get up there. And even then it was still like the clouds were flirting with closing up over the peak and then open up a little bit. And so we determined, all right, we, we, the, the, the winds and the clouds are stable enough to let, let's get the rescuer into them at least. And uh, if, if we have to break for weather, at least they can hike them out, stabilize his leg. And so we get him in there, we hoisted him out, flew him to the, to the state uh, Hemet mountain station and uh, then got his son out of there and the other rescuers. So they were real happy. And so there, he was telling me this story at the helicopter and, you know, his oh, wife starts crying. Yeah, his wife starts crying. She's all, thank you so much. You saved him. And his daughter's like, thank you. You saved me. And so we talked about his rehab and he had a he had a pretty gnarly break with it. But uh, he said he's good to go then. He was able to walk around the air show all day and and uh he was he was cool. But uh yeah, we took a picture. It was really it was really neat, man. I never get to see, you know, someone see the after effect of 
you know, hey, we, we helped save this guy and got him home to his family. So it was, uh, it was pretty rewarding, pretty, pretty cool. Wow. Just wow. That's yeah. awesome. That, that, ah, oh, another great story. I can't get enough of these. I tell you, this is, this is awesome. Yeah. It's a, uh, we've been pretty busy. We've, we've had a pretty, we have a pretty busy uh, search and rescue program. In well, our county. the greatest part about it is actually, again, you and I talked offline, you know, way more than just search and rescue. You know, that, that's kind of my bread and butter. It's just what I've been doing for the past 20 years, but the law enforcement side, cause you guys have that as well being police department and you have yeah. some pretty, uh, some good stories from LE side too. Yeah, the, the one, the most recent one that uh, um, I wasn't involved with it, but uh, was uh, another another good crew guys, uh, Jerry and Jerry Osterlo and Eric uh, Bashta. They were uh, they were flying they were flying patrol at night in an area called uh, is Lake Elsinore in our county, and there was a call of a um, a highway patrol officer. He asked for um, he asked for eleven eleven, which is you know code three lights and siren backup. He was on a traffic stop on Interstate 15. And so uh, they were near, I think they had just flown past um, you know, Indian truck trail in the 15. Like, hey, we just, we just passed that guy. We didn't see him. So they, he put out 1111. So, hey, turn around. So they turn around and uh, they're just seconds out. So they put out that they're overhead with, with the officer. And so, um, so Jerry's on the FLIR and he's uh, looking at the traffic stop. And just as he starts to look, he sees the driver open up, open fire onto the CHP officer with some kind of rifle. No and way. So, so the chippy is, uh, he, he ducked for cover. He had a, a concrete K rail next to him that he dove behind that and got cover. And it turns out this guy had an AK 47 and he was just stepping out into the number four, number three lane, kind of just pie in the car and uh, thankfully, he mistakenly thought the officer went back into his car. And so he just emptied a full 30 round mag into the car and um, goes back, goes to reload, reassesses. I think he started firing again. Then he sees the helicopter overhead. And so he starts cranking rounds at the helicopter. And so <laughs> he, he disengages. He, uh, he, he, gets, he gets into the back seat of the quad cab of the truck, but then the truck takes off. So we're like, okay, there must be another occupant. So um, it turns out it was his girlfriend. He made her drive um, down on the freeway, but they had a, they had their two children in the back of the, of the truck with them and they were kind of oh toddler aged. Gosh. So, so they put out 1199 officer down They're uh, actively engaging the, the officer with a rifle. Um, there were some of our deputies that were nearby. They, they started responding. So this guy, he gets on the southbound 15. And so apparently he must have opened up the, um, the back windows and there's like a, a tonneau cover over the, over the back of the truck. It's like a hard cover that covers the top of the bed. Yeah. So he must have, he must have just laid down on that and he just starts firing at the, the deputies and the officers that were responding on the freeway. It's like a rolling gun battle on the freeway. And uh, so Jerry's putting out, Hey, he's, he's shooting from the vehicle, you know, back off, you know, maintain distance. And so he's still shooting, still shooting. And then, so he, uh, he gets off at an exit, probably about four miles to the South. And, uh, so we're rolling, everyone's rolling. And, um, and thankfully our, a, a big portion of our SWAT team was, um, was nearby. They had just finished up some training. And so they're responding, they're coming and, uh, everyone else is rolling out. So yeah, he exits, he gets, uh, into a neighborhood 
that turns out to be uh, her parents' house. So he just, you know, jams it up on the, on the grass and the front lawn and he gets out with his rifle and he starts uh, aiming down the street and he's, and he's ready to set up on, on officers that are ready to come down the, the road there that he expects to be right behind them. So what, what saved so many lives, I think was, uh, was the tactical flight officer, you know, Jerry's putting out all this information, you know, he's out on the front line, he's got a rifle, you know, do not turn the corner, do not turn the corner, seek hard cover right there down the street. So they, they listen, they parked up and saw cover. Uh, he, uh, cranking rounds down that direction. Some deputies uh, start returning fire. Uh, but then there was, then there was kind of a confusion of, you know, which house he was, he was over. So they, they made the determination, um, to, uh, well, he, he started firing at them uh, at the helicopter again from the front yard. Oh so gosh. thankfully he never hit them. So they turned off their spotlight, they blacked out. And then, um, uh, Riverside Police Department, they responded, they heard the call, they responded overhead pretty quick in their 500. Um, I was airborne too with, uh, with another crew, we were south, uh, probably like 15 minutes away. So the pilot, he's communicating to me right away, hey, this is what we got, hey, you guys fly back to Hemet, top off, we need to get a shooter in the back seat in case this guy goes like in a rural area, whatever, um, he's trying to kill cops. And so my partner and I, we did that. We flew back, we topped off, and then we just kind of loitered off station about a mile and a half to the west while this was all going down. Yeah. Just ready in case uh, if the guy did go in some rural area and we were able to um, just apply aerial use of force. So um, thankfully we didn't have to do that. But uh, in the meantime, uh, the guy is, uh, he's going uh, to, he goes inside the house comes back out, he goes out to the backyard and he's just, he's just looking for a gunfight. He's looking for targets to engage. And the whole time the air crew is telling, putting this, these um, um, actions out saying, okay, he's on the side of the house now. Okay. He's at the back of the house now. And so that, you know, he's kind of cueing the ground guys that were in the front, like, Hey, you guys can bound up on some hard cover. He's in the backyard now, you know, close the distance on this guy. So in that meantime, there was a SWAT, the first SWAT deputy that showed up, he, uh, he had the hard armor, so he said, Hey, I need one more deputy to, you know, stack up behind me and we're going to, we're going to engage this guy. So another patrol deputy had, they had an AR 15. He was, uh, he's like, Hey, I'll go. So they both stacked up and they were closing the distance on this guy. Well, in the meantime, he goes inside the house and I guess he was looking to murder her family, her mom and dad. And so thankfully um, the dad was a uh, retired Marine Sergeant major. And he, he pre-planned for this event. He knew that this day may come because of the previous actions of this guy wow so he uh he grabbed his wife and they just boned out in the backyard to a neighbor's house they had their little uh egress plan and so they uh, got out and so but he went in the house and he was shooting up every uh, closet he was shooting under every bed what uh, any, any place that he thought a person can can, can secrete themselves they uh, he started shooting and shooting and shooting so he comes back out and about the time he came back out is when uh, that first SWAT deputy and his partner were um within uh within sight of him they saw him and uh told him to drop the weapon he didn't so they uh they uh, neutralized him right there on the kind of by the front yard and uh ended the whole thing so uh it was interesting too because of i guess his plan we found out later on was he was going to kidnap the kids and take them back to lebanon where he was from and uh he was gonna kill the whole family kill her so they uh I guess, you know, the FBI heard about all this and because of his name, I guess they kind of piqued their curiosity and 
So they rolled back that night to his, I guess he owned a liquor store in a neighboring county. So they served a search warrant on the liquor store and they found a huge cache of weapons, ammunition, AK-47s and, uh, and all that. So, um, yeah, they, they saved a lot of people's lives that night by putting out the actions overhead. And that, that is what, that is the, the whole bread and butter of the law enforcement side of airborne law enforcement is, uh, is our job is to make the ground patrol deputies and officers, their jobs safer, number one, and to do their job more efficiently and more effectively. And wow. so they definitely kept them safe that night by calling out their real time play by play actions of the, of the shooter. And uh, which, you know, if, if they weren't overhead, they would have come just rolling down that street, you know, just fat, dumb and happy and could have, could have lost some people that night. So wow, uh, did a, did an awesome bang up job. They were very, you know, very calm, um, very calm professionals on the radio and uh, just, you know, saved lives last night, uh, that night, real proud of them. Uh, did a, did a great job, but uh, that's, um, you know, that's what, that's what I mean, stuff like that kind of happens. I think a lot throughout the country, you know, and throughout the world, you right. know, law enforcement units, you know, that's why we're such a valuable force multiplier overhead. you know, we try to try to let people know the folks know that in our County, like, Hey, I know, I know we're a, a big budget eater and we're, we're very expensive, but um, this is what we're doing. This is the value you're getting for this, uh, for these machines and these people. That yeah. fly. Um, that's what we try to have a very, a very, uh, robust social media presence like every rescue we do we, we put it up there and try to show people ah, that's great yeah yeah it's a it's expensive it's an expensive helicopter we get it but here's what we're doing with it and it's uh it's saving people's lives and getting people home and you know and folks are, are happy for it and um and yeah we all we all love doing it we all love doing our yeah. job it, it's really it really is the greatest job in the world man we all come to work every day and just uh man i love i love flying i love this job and and, uh, you and me both fun. brother. Yeah, exactly. Right. You get to rescue somebody, you know, and same thing, you know, flying out to an oil rig or something or what you did in the coast guard. I mean, that's yeah. all those folks are very thankful and happy. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. well, at least I think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Mike, these stories are awesome. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Do you have one more LE story? Just one. I'll take one more. Uh, yeah, there's, man, there's, oh man, there's, uh, the other one that happened, uh, 2006, I think, uh, the crew, they responded to, it was nearby Temecula. It was a, um, I think it was a stolen car, a, a patrol deputy got, got behind pursuit was on the guy didn't stop. Um, the car kind of crashes out. And so then he runs across the freeway. He carjacks another person, gets in their car, gets back on the freeway northbound. And then, um, he, uh, he gets up, he gets off, he exits uh, about 20, 25 miles north, goes into this real rural area. So the deputies are pursuing, but he's got kind of a lead on him. So the air crews overhead. And so they, um, they, he, the suspect sees them overhead and he starts shooting at him. Well, this time he did actually hit the helicopter in this case. No uh, way. Overhead. Yeah. They, they heard that they heard a tink in the aircraft and well, as they were watching him shoot on the FLIR and so they heard it, they felt it, and, you know, immediately start assessing, okay, are we okay, are we okay? Um, you know, everything seemed okay. Caution warning panel was not lit up. So they did a precautionary landing, and a TFO got out. He inspected the helicopter. 
didn't see anything leaking, didn't smell anything, said, hey, we're good to go. So they got back in the fight and they chose to keep this guy lit up on the spotlight and to make themselves a target so that the responding deputies that were coming, they were coming up. The, it was a dirt road. And and so the guys were um, they were set or he was set up to ambush the deputies that were going to come over. The, there was the last portion of the driveway it looked like that was um, that was kind of a hill and like you couldn't you couldn't see cars coming from it like beyond it you know, until they crested that hill yeah. and this guy was set up um, to ambush them so what he had did, done in the meantime though he, he was at a nearby mobile home and he uh, he shot his way into the house and he, he shot the door lock and this this round missed an infant sleeping in her crib by just a couple feet. Holy so, smoke. Yeah. So they actually charged him with attempt murder on the, on the, on the child too afterward. And uh, so he tries to look for keys in the house to try to get in their vehicle, but he realizes, okay, I'm, this is, I'm going to make my stand here. So he sets up and um, so the air crew is overhead. They're seeing all this and they're telling him, Hey, do not crest that Hill. He's setting up to ambush you. So uh, they, they took some hard cover at the end. And so they set up a, a, an assault team to, to, to close the distance on him. And so they were, you know, same thing, calling out the play, calling out the whole thing. And, and they were able to, I guess the guy got inside a car, he was about to leave. And then one of the deputies, um, one of the deputies just jumped on the hood and just lit him up through the windshield. And, uh, and of course, just like tweaker law, it's, he empties probably half his mag into this guy through the windshield. And because of ballistics and the way the 556 five, round behaves through windshields, of course, he's aiming center mass, but none of the rounds hit the guy's center mass. He gets all these like arm injuries. Yeah. So he gives up surrenders and, you know, as he goes into custody and, and he's um, spending a long time in prison, but uh, it was a great, another great, uh, Kurt Franklin was the pilot. Chad Marlatt was the, the flight officer at the time. And, and uh, you know, they, they got hit. And they landed, got back in the fight and, and chose to keep their spotlight on to make them, it was making themselves an even easier target, but they wanted to keep the ground lit to watch his actions and to light it up for the, uh, for the responding deputies too. So they can also kind of see, cause it was extremely dark out there. It's a just middle of kind of this kind of trailer park area and mountainous kind of, so uh, just, yeah, another, another great, great crew. What they did was awesome. Wow. So yeah, yeah I had, love these stories. It was interesting. They had a, they flew back to the hangar and uh, they inspected the aircraft further, and the mechanics found a hole where they did hit the helicopter. It was in the um, in one of the skid tubes. So oh they, no kidding! Oh that's... yeah, they, they had to pull that skid tube off and book it into evidence and <laughs> get another skid tube replacement and uh, roll they, the whole skid was... through court. Uh, this is our evidence piece number five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right. Oh so, my uh, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's Mike. These stories are awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We love it. Well, I'll tell you what I'm, I've taken a ton of your time and I appreciate every story you're giving me. Um, Let's, let's close out a little bit with just, if there's anything you want to pass on to anybody or any of the closing statements you'd like to make, the floor is open to you, my friend. Yeah. Well, you know, just we're just real thankful. We're thankful to uh, our sheriff, Chad Bianco, that he got us this new helicopter um, and really thankful to him and his leadership. Uh, he really believes in our mission and uh, he's gotten us the, uh, the aircraft and now he's 
he's getting us the bodies, the people to grow the unit as well. And that only benefits the, the people of Riverside County more. And uh, so just really thankful for that. And um, I would just say, you know, just, you know, guys out there, just keep, uh, you know, if you can train with other units, you know, host, um, you know, like fly-ins and train together. Um, Definitely. We, we kind of stopped doing that because of COVID. You know, we, we host a fly-in every year of basically we invite all of Southern California to come to our hangar and listen to a guest speaker um, talk about aviation related safety stuff. And, and uh, great. You know, it's uh, if you guys, we get back to doing that. It's great. I think it's, we pass on knowledge. Um, we share knowledge um, in this, in this whole endeavor, when we were looking for this uh, helicopter, um, I went up to uh, Las Vegas Metro PD and wanted to go on a fact finding mission because uh, they, they, they were the first law enforcement agency to have the 145. And uh, so I reached out and I met a guy, Steve Morris, uh, great guy. He was very helpful. You know, I still talk to him this day about stuff and, you know, comparing notes about our airframes. And um, so, yeah, I went up there and took pictures, asked him, you know, I wanted to make sure that, you know, we're making the right decision with this helicopter. And, and he was very gracious still, like just helping us out, talking to, I asked him, you know, is there anything you regret about this helicopter? And he said, absolutely not, man. It's, it works as advertised. And, uh, you know, we have very similar uh, geography and terrain altitude wise and desert. And he said it, it's, it's performing beautifully. So um, yeah, I took a bunch of pictures and stuff and uh, he helped us through our, um, our acquisition process and the build out with Airbus and just, uh, yeah, great, great group, man. Great operation up there. Um, they helped us out the other day. We had to fly up there to, uh, there was a uh, kidnapping suspect that um, our fugitive task force uh, through the methods that they use were able to determine that he was in Las Vegas with, uh, with his kid, I guess. And it was a legit kidnapping. And so uh, we needed to fly some detectives up there. And so they, they, so we put him in the 145. We got up there, I guess Steve met him out on the tarmac and helped him out and got him in and let us use their hangar to get out of the heat. And it was really cool. So that wow. guy got handed and taken to jail and they found him. And so it was great, man. Just, uh, yeah, just work with each other, you know, interagency stuff, just uh, yeah. um, train together, work with each other, you know, it only benefits out benefits the, you know, the people that we're helping and, and, and each other too. If we can, you know, get home quicker. It's great. Yeah. Mike, these stories are awesome. Great advice. Thank you so Thanks. much for coming on and sharing all this stuff. I'm smiles ear to ear right now. I just, this is awesome. I love it. Yeah. Thank yeah. No you. worries. My pleasure. Dude. Oh. Um, and with that, I mean, I, I'm good, man. I'm good. So thank cool, you. Man. Yeah, man. It's good to meet you. Good to you talk too. to you, man. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for doing what you do too, man. Stay safe out there and, and uh, yeah, look you, forward you to talking to you again. Yeah, and we'll uh, the next time we can uh, get out to California, I'll give you a call. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. If you uh, you ever make it out here, just uh, hit me up, man. You got a place to stay for sure. Done. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again, buddy. I appreciate it. And My with pleasure. that, ladies and gentlemen, we are out of here. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Real Rescue Podcast. Please take a minute and like my daughters like to tell me, like and subscribe. Oh yeah. I'm pulling chocks and taking off. But before I go, if anyone out there has a rescue story that they would be willing to share, I would be humbled and honored to have you as a guest. Or if you have any questions about any of the rescues or anything else that we talk about here on this podcast, send me an email, therealrescue at gmail.com. That's 
T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q at gmail.com. You can also check us out on our Facebook and Instagram page at The Real Rescue. That's at T-H-E-R-E-A-L-R-E-S-Q. I also want to give a special thank you to all of you standing on the watch today. Always remember that when that SAR alarm goes off, those in distress are praying for a miracle. They are going to get you. Until next time, fly safe and swim hard.